It's time for Heatwave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heatwave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. Las Vegas. It is Sunday night. It is Heat Wave Sports. I'm Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com. And I'm sitting in with Chris Wynn, who is part of the Heat Wave Sports family, has always been part of the Heat Wave Sports family. But I don't get to do a lot of shows, just me and Chris. Tim Unglesby is off tonight. He will be back next week, so don't worry about it. But you're going to start hearing uh, me and Chris now doing some shows, man. I absolutely love it. We have a lot to unwrap today. First, the NBA Finals. Look, everybody had already chalked up the Suns. The Suns were dominating. Chris Paul was the MVP. Why even play the rest of the games? It didn't matter, right? Suns in four. We know that guy, right? Suns in four. Yeah, well, Giannis had a little something to say about that. So we will absolutely get into that. That's for sure. We also have to get to some Major League Baseball. We had a Futures game today, which I think is going to be the highlight of baseball for the next five days. Now, People are going to get into the home run derby. We're going to get Chris's take, but I think it's a farce. I think the all-star game itself is a farce. It's something that I don't pay attention to. It's something I tell everybody don't bet on. We're going to talk about that. Also, the first half awards. Who do I think is the MVP? Who does Chris have as the MVP? Most outstanding performances. Which teams uh, have really come out here and gone, you know what? They're, They're turning heads. So we're going to get into it all, and I'm going to try to add my two cents on Jose Altuve basically admitting that he's a cheater and the entire Houston Astros. But let me welcome on Chris Wynn. Chris, how you doing tonight, my man? Doing great, Tommy. It's good to join you. It's Sunday, right? So there's always just a ton of action. We get to, you know, basically recap across the board. It started out earlier in the West Coast, Tommy, talking about noontime. That's early for us Vegas guys out here, Tommy, right? And uh, yeah, the Euro Cup final, of course, with Italy taking on England in a big-time match at Wembley, of course, that ended in dramatic fashion. Then we got into some of the baseball action across the board. You had essentially history being made by a Marlins pitcher, and then you had all the action going on on the diamond throughout the day, and then, of course, gets capped off by a 5 o'clock local tip of the NBA Finals with the Suns in Milwaukee to take on the Bucks in that electric deserve forum there in Beer City as the Bucks were able to get off the schneid in the series and get a win. And so it's very much a different series, and it's going to be interesting to say the least, Tommy, to see how this all shakes out with his NBA Finals. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because you say Sunday. We're, we're the show prep for the Monday morning cruise, right? Every, exactly. every Monday morning, we're, we're, we're their show prep, so they don't have to do much, right? And then they're, they're going to. They're going to steal our material and, and repeat it. So everything you say here, Chris, might be repeated on Monday morning shows around the around the state. So <laughs> just be. Or prepared. you can look at it like this, Tommy. Right? You can look at it like we get first word on all the of stuff course. that went down uh, here on the back end of the weekend. Fun. Got to poke yeah. some fun. So okay, Chris, let's talk about. It. You said the NBA, and I was being a little sarcastic, but not really, Chris, because. All we heard after the Suns, forget about even game two, all we heard about the Suns after game one was, guys, listen, it's over. The Suns are too good. Giannis is banged up. 
He tries to pull Will Shreve and kind of kind of come out there. He didn't look good. He do it. It wouldn't matter what Giannis did. Game two, more of the same. You heard a lot of CP3 love. Um, you know, people go, ah, look, he, he's got the MVP. It's locked up. He was actually minus 120 after game two to win the MVP, Chris. You could have got could have got Giannis at plus three, three to one, three and a half to one, depending on what book you were going to use. Giannis comes out tonight, and he did exactly what I told every single person all over the hundred stations that we're in and Sports Garden Network this morning. My best bet was that Milwaukee was going to win. It was Milwaukee was going to win. Giannis was going to get the over the rebounds because I absolutely looked at this as them going home. The Bucks are now 8-1 and one at home during the playoffs. Their only loss during the playoffs at home came when, listen, Trey Young almost put up 50 on them. You know, it was a, a ridiculous performance. The guy put up 48 points. All right, they lose that game. And it was game one of a series. I could feel, you know, I can push that aside. They are a different animal at home. You don't think that the crowds mean something, guys? Well, reevaluate because that place is crazy. It's rocking. Giannis feels at home, and he dominated tonight. We've done a lot of Giannis bashing here over the playoffs, and I find it interesting that a guy that has been considered one of the best five players in the sport, won multiple MVPs, defensive player of the year, uh, has his team in the finals, and this was has been a bash fest seemingly to get there. Well, he had no problem with free throws tonight, dominated inside the paint, put up absolutely eye-popping numbers, and Giannis absolutely put the bucks on his shoulders and won tonight. Well, here's the thing, Tommy, and you, you kind of touched on it here the last three minutes. We go into the series, right, and then you can use the phrase foregone conclusion, assumptions, whatever, regarding what the outcome of the series is going to be based on what? Based on Giannis Antetokounmpo's injury. Right. I mean, that was that was foremost on everybody's mind saying, OK, well, Milwaukee, you know, it's been a nice run. But, the, you know, the Phoenix Suns are going to capture their first ever NBA championship. you got the leadership of Chris Paul in his 16th season going to his first NBA finals. You've got, you know, the combination of veterans like him, along with the young bucks and the guys that can score and and the emergence of DeAndre Ayton. And this is going to be basically a coronation that the Phoenix Suns are going to win the championship. When did that all change in this series, Tommy? I'll tell you when it changed. It changed when the status of Giannis Antetokounmpo has suddenly changed. And it's almost like, yeah, he had an injury and when he went crashing to the when he went crashing to the court with that serious knee injury, it was it was questionable whether or not the guy was even going to play the rest of the playoffs, right? And he's been able to come back and be extremely effective and that just now changes the entire makeup of this series. You've got Giannis going out there, I believe, I think the second player in NBA history to have a 40-point game and 10-rebound game back-to-back -back in the NBA Finals, which is pretty incredible. You're talking about a guy that's been able to come back regardless of that injury and still perform at the level that is just unreal. So that combined with the, you know, the offensive efficiency of guys like Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, defensively obviously an excellent player, but he was able to shoot 50% from three today ends up with 21 in the game. You got contributions from Bobby Portis off the bench. This is a very formidable Milwaukee team, and you brought it up, Tommy, especially when they are back in Milwaukee playing in that Fizzer Forum in front of that raucous, you know, Wisconsin crowd. They are absolutely in the mix right here, and they're still, look, they're still down two games to one. They're still down two to one, but the, the, the total mindset 
of everybody out there, whether you're an NBA expert, whether you're a talking head like us, whether you are, you know, a handicapper, whether you're just an NBA fan, understands that this is turning into a series that could end up being a seven-gamer or could be extended longer than what we had anticipated going into the series, which was, you know, and I'm here in Vegas, Tommy. I was hearing all about it. This, you know, the Milwaukee has no chance without Giannis being a – if Giannis is 75%, they have – they have no shot whatsoever. That whole mindset has changed, and it's changed in just a matter of a few days. You know, what's funny, though, is that even before Giannis went down, people were already crowning the Suns because they were so uh, – wow, look at how impressive they were. It, it feels to me like we've been waiting for the coronation of Milwaukee for years. And now that it's here – I'm not telling you that they're going to win the championship this year, but at least it's here. Now that it's here, now that it's close, now that Giannis is fulfilling what everyone laughed at him. Why would you say Milwaukee can't win there? Right? Why, why would you do that? Oh, Middleton can't be in number two. Well, you can't do that. Now that all of that rhetoric, Chris, is basically, you know, gone away. Here we go. I feel like the public and the general sentiment is people are just bashing Milwaukee for no reason. They're finding holes in Giannis for no reason. Giannis chose to stay in Milwaukee. Giannis chose and Milwaukee chose to keep this team basically intact. You turn around and you look at, at the landscape of the NBA, these these ridiculous teams and everything else. Two years ago, I asked somebody and say, you know, look, Giannis is the best player in the sport. They're going to go, ah, you know what? I might take LeBron, but, but he's right there. It was 1-2. Last year, you could have said, you know what, it was 1-2. If I said that statement coming in, now all of a sudden Giannis has a very good year, somehow not even thought about as an MVP. But he had the numbers to do it. Now he takes his team, beats the Nets. Oh, well, they're injured. Okay, but he did it. He's got his team in the NBA Finals, and he's dominating in the NBA Finals here, and he's got a chance to win, weirdly, I feel like it's almost Giannis jumped the shark here because weirdly in a year where I think it all came together for Giannis, it's all clicked. He's still hearing a lot of negativity. He's getting more negativity now thrown his way than he has for the past couple of years where Milwaukee has failed and Milwaukee is where they need to be. They are in the NBA finals. They just won a game at home. Giannis is dominating. Somehow or another though, Chris, people are still going, you know what? I'm looking past Milwaukee. Well, there's no question about that because it's the first NBA Finals win, Tommy, since you – I don't know what year you were born, my friend, but let me tell you something. It was 1974, the last time the Bucks won an NBA Finals game. <laughs> yes, so you were not you – were, you were just a twinkle in the eye of, you know, of, uh, of Mama and Papa Barton. All I'm saying is this. Yes, Milwaukee was impressive today. Yes, they were at home, and they were able to, you know, get a win at home. And we've been saying it till the cows come home, right, Tommy? A series doesn't start until you lose a game on your home court in that series. Well, that kind of rang true again today because now we have a, you know, we we have a game three today where Milwaukee looks impressive. They win by twenty. They scored thirty-five points in the second quarter. They scored thirty-eight in the third quarter. Both teams combined for almost 70 points, by the way, in third quarter. So solid defensive performance. But this is a Phoenix Suns team that, yes, 
they lost this basketball game, right, Tommy? And let's kind of look at this from the Suns' perspective also. But you also had, I believe, Devin Booker shooting one of seven from three. They had a couple other guys who were just atrocious from downtown. So, yeah, they were able to get some decent offensive performances with the likes of Crowder and obviously Aiden and some others. But I think the Suns can kind of wipe the slate clean a little bit with this game three and say, okay, let's get back to what we were doing in game one and two. Monty Williams is going to have to, you know, he's going to have to circle the wagons a little bit with these guys and and look to a game four where they're going to have to make some adjustments. Now, are they going to make them? I don't know. But the point being is that this is I, – I, I did not think this was going to be, you know, any type of four-game sweep or five-game series because of the Bucks' propensity at home to play well and, and because of the advantage they have on that in, the, in that home court, in that town. And, and because now we have this, you know – basically a wild card regarding Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's, you know, look, he's not, he's not a hundred percent, but he's certainly playing as if, you know, the injury is almost something that he could overcome without, you know, without a whole lot of effort. So to me, it's a, it's a brand new series, but I still, in my, look, in my humble, my humble NBA watching since 1979 opinion, I still feel like the Phoenix Suns are the team to beat in this series. You know, Chris, let me ask you, what does Phoenix do from here? Because if you're the Phoenix Suns, you're looking at this and you're saying, okay, you know, I say this all the time with with pretty much any sport. Defensive coordinators are paid, you know, hefty. And defensive game plans are hefty paid. Don't think uh, that that they're trying to do everything they can and throw the, you know, kitchen sink at Giannis and he's scoring these numbers. No, it was a concerned effort, I'm sure, by the Phoenix Suns to sit back and say, okay, we're going to let Giannis have his points. We're going to put him on the line 17 times. We're going to assume that he's going to miss from the line. And you know what? Let's just stop everyone else. And that has been the mindset for the last two games. You see defenses do this often. All right. You know what? Go off. Go crazy, Giannis. You go crazy. We need to stop everybody else, right? But when you have 28 assists from Milwaukee, Holiday leading with nine assists, everyone playing like this, how do you come out now in a game four? Do you go with the theory that, you know what, they can't play like this. They can't keep doing this. We're going to let Giannis go for another 40, but we still think we could win with him going 40. Or is the mindset for the Phoenix Suns, you know what, enough. We've seen enough of Giannis dominating us. Let's go make someone else, Middleton, beat us. Let's go make Holiday beat us. Let's make sure someone else beats us, and we got to hold Giannis down. Do they change it up, or do you think they just go, here we go? Yeah, my opinion on this, Tommy, is very much uh, aligned with what you just described right there. It's not going to be about, you know, whether or not they're, they're not going to stop Giannis, okay? He's going he's going to end up getting his points. He's going to get his rebounds. He's a superstar, okay? What they can't have happen, this is what they can't have happen if you're the Suns. And by the way, uh, head coach Monty Williams of the Suns talked about this at halftime. There's got to be better defensive uh, execution by this Phoenix Suns team uh, against the likes of Drew Holiday, against the likes of Bobby Portis, against the likes of P.J. Tucker. You can't have, you know, uh, Drew Holiday out there knocking down a bunch of threes. You can't have, you know, a textbook play is like that that fast break where you had, you know, the, the, the three-way weave almost going on with Drew Holiday, you know, and, and dishing behind, behind over his head to Bobby Portis for the slam. You just can't have situations like that transpiring if you're the Phoenix Suns and be successful. So 
for me, I mean, I, look, every, everybody's a Monday morning quarterback and an expert after the fact. I just think they need to get just a much higher defensive intensity, and they have to be able to, you know, just just ramp these guys down a little bit. I'm talking about these guys other than Giannis on this Bucks team, and, and Phoenix has got to show some more heart on the defensive end. If they don't, then they're going to be in a uh, dogfight of a series, and they still might win. But the point being is that, that you know, it's uh, it's clearly evident here in this game three, that uh, this is a Bucks team that feeds off of, uh, you know, off of their success offensively, and they just kind of build on it. And they were also able to draw from the crowd tonight, and it was a huge plus. And if that continues, the Bucks are going to be okay in this series. 876-1340, guys. You can hit us up over on Twitter. It's at Tom Barton Sports, at HW Sports. I want to hear from you guys, though, because I, I, I'm looking at this series from a different viewpoint. I was one of the few people that thought Milwaukee was going to win the series, if not go seven, right? I was one of the few people that thought, all right, you know what? Giannis is, is going to have huge games. Me and you were texting earlier uh, today, Chris. I said, you know what? I, I like Giannis to get over his rebounding total for today. Uh, I took Aton also, and he came one short. But I said, you know, I, I just I can't imagine that someone the skill level of Giannis is going to just go away quietly, where a lot of people did. So nothing's changing for me. I still think Milwaukee wins game four. And they'll be a favorite there. I still believe that Milwaukee sends us back into a game six or seven. I still think that Milwaukee is a pretty good bet to win the series. And I do think that we have to take a look at the Chris Paul factor where everybody's loving on what Chris Paul does, right? Chris Paul can't do any wrong. Chris Paul, MVP, Chris Paul's greatest thing since sliced bread. But Chris Paul can't stop Giannis because it's not his job to. And it's just a matchup problem when your superstar you know doesn't match up with their superstar and Giannis is just playing the inside game I believe that the coaching changes and the way and the style Milwaukee is just going to give this team trouble look I'm going out there and I'm saying game four yeah I'm going bucks game five Mike right go Mike go right back to the Suns there <laughs> you know game, game six back to the bucks and game seven let's flip a coin kind of situation a couple of quick side notes, too, Tommy, regarding this Phoenix Suns team and the performance in Game 3. Bridges, not a great game at all. I mean, he basically only took four shots at four points in the game. This is coming off a career playoff high where he had 27 in Game 2. And also, Torrey Craig, a lot of discussion, obviously, before Game 3 about his health and whether or not he's going to be even effective. He ends up two points in 15 minutes after hurting that right knee back in Game 2. So, there's... A couple of things, obviously, that need to get righted there if you're the Phoenix Suns. But getting back to what you said about Chris Paul. Look, Chris Paul, yes, he's been lauded about his productivity and a lot of his leadership ability, right? There's been mentions by players on his own team that he's almost like a father figure to a lot of guys there. But there also has been the sentiment out there, Tommy, and I'd like to get your opinion on it because, look, it's been out there regarding him overall as, as a teammate and as somebody, you know, who – which is a weird dynamic because, you know, out of one side of, you know, some people's mouths, they talk about him like a father figure, but other players and other people around the league say that this guy is like, he's just difficult to play with. He's, you know, sometimes it goes from being just confident and cocky to be almost arrogant at times, which is looked on as a bad thing in, in that situation. I, I, I just am interested to see exactly how this all plays out regarding Chris Paul and his leadership ability kind of bouncing off some of the negative things that have been said about him from a personality standpoint with this Phoenix Suns team. You know, it's a great point. 
because we just we fall in love in this country uh, more than anywhere else in sports more than anything else. We fall in love with the guy that we want to root for what we think he deserves something. All of a sudden, everyone falls in love. And here we go. And you start to forget about the negatives. And you're right. Look, everybody wants Chris Paul to win now. People are rooting for him everywhere. He earned it. He deserves it. I'm hearing ridiculous things like Chris Paul's a top five all-time point guard. Moronic statements. Come on now. Come on now. He's not. You think he is? Absolutely not. Absolutely, positively not. He's not a top five point guard of all time. No, no. And that's the the conversation that we're having. Why? Because Chris Paul is in the moment. And you brought up a great point, Chris, that, you know what, for every day that everyone's talking about, you know, he's putting this guy under his wing and he's a great leader. I can tell you 10 stories about Chris Paul being a problem, being a problem guy, guys not working with him well. Uh, So I think it is a great point. When everything's going well, I bet you Chris Paul's really nice to be around. (laughs) <laughs> right? But no when question. you lose game three in Milwaukee, I don't know how nice of a guy he is. I don't know how much of a leader he's going to be leading into game four. Well, Tommy, think about it. We have short memories, right? All of us do remember, right, the time in Los Angeles with the Clippers, with Blake Griffin, okay? And, you know, how things went south there and how he wasn't able to win there. You know, the time in New Orleans where it was he's basically with an also-ran. The times where he's been at other teams – and they haven't been able to get it done. And there has been, you know, things been that have been said about Chris Paul that are not positive regarding his attitude and regarding his position and regarding his leadership. So it was, it was a great point that you just made. We are absolutely living in the moment here and now, right, where this is a Phoenix Suns team that, you know, because they're in the West and because there's a lot of Laker haters out there and a lot of, you know, a lot of other teams that were expected to be here, but now the Suns are that squad that is in the finals. We are almost, and and, and uh, you you make, you make an interesting point too, and, and it's and it's spot on regarding United States fans, and you know when it when it comes to feel good types of stories, the Phoenix Suns never won an NBA championship. You know, a lot of us older people, and and even you know some people just younger than than myself remember that 1993 season where. They basically had no chance against the Chicago Bulls. It's a franchise that we all love. Would love to see the one time where they find where a franchise finally breaks through, right, Tommy? A franchise finally wins a championship. You kind of felt that way back in what was it, 2009, with the New Orleans Saints and Drew Brees when they were able to win a Super Bowl. It was kind of cool to see that. And obviously, with recent World Series with the 2016 Chicago Cubs and the 2004 Boston Red Sox and uh, sorry Tommy and uh, but but you understand the point I'm trying to make the point I'm trying to make is we love it when the fresh new toy gets an opportunity to hoist one and I'm kind of feeling that way about my Detroit Lions hopefully sometime in my lifetime you know in the next 40 years maybe we do make a Super Bowl and people will feel you know good for us if we're able to to win it all but it just yeah yeah that's exactly kind of the sentiment that comes to my mind as someone who doesn't have a dog in the fight regarding the Bucks or the Suns winning a championship, is that, uh, yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot of NBA fans that, you know, that couldn't care less about either team that are saying to themselves, yeah, it would be kind of cool to see this Phoenix Suns team hoist the Larry O'Brien trophy. 
Hey, look, I think it would be cool to watch the Bucks because they built it the right way. Real quick, before we uh, get off of the NBA, and guys, we'll take your calls all night, 876-1340. Um, my list of top five, I got Magic, Curry, Stockton, Thomas, Robertson, probably Walt Frazier and Steve Nash all before Chris Paul. You can even make an argument about Jason Kidd, but he's such a piece of garbage, I won't. Um, I'm listening to that argument. So not only do I have him, and you know what? (laughs) Let me tell you something. I could probably make a compelling argument for Gary Payton. But clearly outside the top five, in my opinion, he's outside the top seven. If you want to argue that he's 8, 9, 10, I'm listening. All right. First of all, I heard your list, and a lot of mine are going to be similar. But regarding someone like – and that just popped into my head, by the way, Gary Payton. In my mind, right off the top of my head here, I think Gary Payton is a better point guard than Chris Paul. I mean, that's – you know, and this is not me just hating on Chris Paul. I just think that, you know, I think we kind of let some things slip through the cracks when it comes to all-time great point guards. You know, when you're talking about Magic and Stockton and – you know, and Oscar Robertson and, you know, obviously Steph Curry. I mean, that, that, those are, to me, those are no-brainers better than better than Chris Paul. And then you can start getting into the debates and about the, you know, the subjectivity of all the players or whatever. Isaiah Thomas, you know, I, Isaiah, I, I don't think there's any – look, I'm, I'm obviously biased as a Pistons fan, but, you know, it's uh, – I don't, I don't even think it's – and a lot of comparisons have been made to Chris Paul and Isaiah Thomas. And I, I just think it's absolutely laughable. I think it's beyond laughable. I think Isaiah, then, you can make the argument Isaiah is probably could be the second best point guard of all time yes, behind Magic Johnson, I, 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 in my absolutely. opinion. But. To me, I got stocked in there. But listen, who are you knocking off the list? You're not knocking Magic off the list, okay? You're not no. knocking Thomas off the list. You're not nope. knocking Stockton. You're not knocking absolutely Oscar not. Robertson. So that's one, nope. two, three, four, in whatever order. You're, you're not going. knocking Steph Curry off either. You're not. Right. Getting, I was just going to say, so now you're arguing yeah. Curry? Yeah, you know, come on, come on. You argue. I know people don't know because he's an older guy. Walt Fla- Frazier. Come on, Steve Nash. Uh, Steve Nash is a better player. Two-time MVP. I could put Steve Nash over him too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know. All right, all right. Let's take a quick timeout. We'll come on back. I want to talk to you about the Major League Baseball draft that went down today. Yep. To me, it was one of the weirder drafts. I know people don't pay attention to it, but I want to just touch on it a little bit. Uh, because I think people are starting to pay a little bit more attention to the draft because these guys are coming up so quickly now. They are here in a year or two. Uh, there are guys on that were drafted today that might actually contribute to the postseason this year. So take a quick time out. Tom Barton, Chris Wynn, Pete Wave Sports. We'll be back right after this. I have your attention, please. This is Heat Wave Sports. I got a special treat for you this evening. A young man that you all know is Tom Barton. Nah, dude. This is a real job. It's like teaching kids. And now back to Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tom Barton. All right, guys. Welcome back. Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com. Chris Wynn sitting in with me. Talking a little NBA. We'll take NBA calls all night long. Milwaukee is back with authority. Giannis has taken over. I want to hear what you guys think. You know, how much does this change the series? I'll tell you, 
the odds makers knew minus four and a half today. That's what, that was the Bucks. And for the next game, we're sitting back and we're going, okay, I just said it. The Bucks are going to be favored. How much do you favor them by? How much do you think you think they should be favored by? Well, it's right about a point less than it was today. It's down to about three and a half. I don't know. I don't know why it would be dropping in a spot like this. I'm looking at Milwaukee and I'm saying I, I think they did everything right. So I will still take calls during the whole show. You want to jump into a little uh, conversation? You want to tell me Chris Paul's the top five? Let's get at it. Okay. But we're going to turn the page for a little bit of Major League Baseball. And I want to talk a little bit about the draft. I know it's not the NBA draft where the lottery picks and everybody knows them because you watch the college uh, tournament. Even, you know, the secretary down the hall that watches three games knows some of these guys that are going number one, right? It's not the NFL draft, which is an event unto itself. Outside of actually playing sports, it is the most important event on a sports or a fan's calendar, on a sports calendar just in total. But the Major League Baseball drafts are starting to do it the right way. Now, I've always been a minor league guy. I've always gotten into it, but they're starting to do it the right way. Sunday, nothing else is on, right? They're doing it after all the major league games are over. There's no more hockey. Normally, uh, you know, they're not head-to-head. They did it early enough, so they're not head-to-head with basketball. They had the stage to themselves, and now they're televising it, get, letting us get a perception of who these kids are. I think they're doing it the right way. And while they start to do it the right way, It's also coinciding with the way that we should be looking at it as sports fans because it should be bigger. We are now starting to watch young guys, young players come up pretty immediately. We're watching guys. uh, I was watching the Futures game today. Just an amazing array of talent. And you look at the Futures game and I'm going, man, these guys are not far off. Most of these guys, I I would say, you know, 60% of them are going to be in baseball the next year, if not two years. We're not that far off. And now guys that got picked this year, they may not help you immediately this season, but their names will start knowing. And what's even better is you start to see the direction that teams are going in. Now, we spoke this morning and uh, on Sports Garden Network, hashtag SGN, guys, if you want to go check it out, and go check out the podcast you can listen to the podcast it's wagering week and i had josh taylor from cbs pittsburgh on and the conversation that we had started with a lot of rumors that jack lighter who is just massively hyped up right everybody that sort of knows anything uh, say jack lighter jack lighter but every insider i talked to said pittsburgh's not taking jack lighter number one they're not going to do it josh taylor told me this morning yeah i think henry davis is the guy That's who he kind of pinpointed. If he wasn't him, Meyer was the guy. If it wasn't him, Lawler was the guy. At no time did he think Jack Leiter was going number one overall. Well, Henry Davis goes number one overall. It was a shock to some, but not to anybody that was listening to me in Sports Guard Network. Henry Davis, look, Jack Leiter's the name. He's the Vanderbilt product that everybody wants. He's the dad's, uh, look, a phenomenal person and had a great career i get it and if i'm pittsburgh i'm picking jack lighter but henry davis is a good player and you look at how the bucks are trying to sort of establish their team you know took a shortstop two years ago a second baseman last year in the first round early on here's henry davis i can't get down on them for the pick even though i feel like a lot of people are going to rip them apart for it chris what's interesting about the major league baseball draft and you you kind of touched on a little bit tommy 
is the variation in the in where these guys are as players, right? I mean, you got some situations where they're basically high school kids with a ton of potential, right? And they get drafted out of high school. Then you have guys like Davis and obviously Leiter, you know, who are playing in college right now at this moment, you know, and uh, and it's just it's 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 across the board. And of course, you have a lot of the you know teenagers and so, and in some cases mid-level teenagers coming from the Dominican Republic and some of these other countries where they had their own development process. So that, to me, is what's unique about the Major League Baseball draft. You refer to it as doing it the right way. Yeah, it absolutely. I, th- I think it is being done the right way. But I think it's in it's a, uh, a, a brand-new dynamic, let's put it that way, Tommy, that you're seeing these players already impacting their major league rosters this quickly. Because we come up in an era, you and myself, where, you know, a guy got drafted and where does he go? He goes to development, he goes to developmental league, he goes to Arizona, he ends up in class A, you know, and then he progresses through the minor leagues where then he'll get an opportunity to play and, and be invited to spring training and then get a chance. You're talking probably, you know, two, three, four years down the road. Now, yes, are there exceptions when it comes to the Bryce Harpers and the Vlad Guerrero Juniors and other others and you know Ken Griffey Juniors are there exceptions? Absolutely, there are exceptions. But for most of these guys, it's not just okay. We sign. It's not like the NHL, right? Where you got a, a guy gets drafted and that same calendar year he could be on your NHL roster in the Stanley Cup playoffs, being an impact player. It just it has it was never that way in Major League Baseball up until, you know, and this may be my own personal opinion, but I think it's on, you know, up until maybe three, four years ago is where, you know, and you obviously had the COVID-19 pandemic and things got kind of mixed up and, you know, it's teams maybe adjusted a little bit, but you you didn't have, and look, I'm a Detroit Tigers fan, and there are absolutely players like the Casey Mises, you know, and, 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 and the Matt Mannings and these guys who were just drafted, you know, basically, you know, two, three years ago. And they're already up with the major league roster and performing, and it just seems to me. And Tommy, you can, uh, you know, you can, you can, uh, you can. If you have another opinion, I'd love to hear it. But like, it just seems to me that just that's a recent phenomenon that you're going to have uh, the, the number of players, the sheer number of prospects that are getting to the major leagues quicker than they normally were used to getting there. Well, Chris, I can tell you, I've spoken to GMs in the league. I've spoken to executives. And it, it was a concentrated effort um, years ago, not that long ago, five, six years ago. It was a concentrated effort to say, mm-hmm. why are we giving out big contracts to 40-year-old guys, right? I mean, everybody, 33, 34, give them a big contract. Now they're going, if I can get similar production from a guy I just drafted, and the slot money is into the millions anyway, why wouldn't I push them up? Going back to your point here. Chris, let's go back to the 2018 draft. Number one overall pick, Casey Mize, on an active roster. Number two pick, Joey Bart, was called up today on an active roster. Number three pick, Alec Bohm, on an active roster. Uh, Nick Madrigal, now he's injured, but number four pick, on an active roster. One, two, three, four. Oh, five, Jonathan India, on an active roster. Number six, New York Mets, Jared Kelnick, which uh, obviously he's in Seattle. Already called up this year, he's going to be called up again. Number seven, Ryan Weathers, on an active roster. The top seven players, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, from 2018 on active rosters. Now you go go down the list. You still have you also have guys like uh, you know 
Logan Gilbert was selected in the first round. You go down the list and you see Brady Singer was selected in the first round. Trevor Lawrence was selected in the first round. Keep, keep going, right? Nico Orner selected in the first round. These guys are making contributions immediately. And that's why I believe, as Shane McClellan, you're talking about first-round picks are hitting now. It used to be, and it's true, when me and you were growing up, it used to be first-round pick. If you were the number one pick in the overall draft, we might know your name. Other than that, first-round picks, they, they kind of made it, didn't make it. No, no, no. It's becoming more like every other sport now, where it's the first-round picks are crushing it. So let's take a look at some of these first-rounds. Right, Henry Davis, look, catcher, big hit profile for Pittsburgh. He will be up, and he will be up quickly, even though catchers take a little time to develop. You have to be just smiling ear to ear. If you're Texas and you're sitting there, right, and you get the number two pick and Jack Leiter from Vanderbilt comes in, when your biggest need as a team is starting pitching, I think this is a fantastic landing spot for Jack Leiter. Before you comment on Leiter, I also want to talk about your number three pick. You're a Detroit fan. Jackson Job might be the highest upside pick here. He's a high schooler, but this is what Detroit does, right? They go high school arms. So talk to me about Leiter's landing spot and what your thought is on Jackson Job. Yeah, interesting, Tommy. you got two athletic legacies here with the second and third picks. Obviously, Jack Leiter, the son of Al Leiter, you know, who won 162 games in the major leagues. We're talking about a guy who's a sophomore, draft eligible out of Vanderbilt, who was just ridiculous, okay, on the hill for the Commodores. And if there's if there you want to talk about this entire draft, if there's somebody that's an actual, you know, you can absolutely see as an ace in the show sooner than later, it's gonna be Jack Leiter. Okay. Uh, obviously Kamar Rucker Rocker also on that on that uh, staff at Vanderbilt is gonna be you know, was the talk of college baseball this year. And there's everybody is hyping up his stuff, and there's going to be some franchise that's going to get this guy too. But you know, yes, him and Jackson Job, Jackson Job, uh, the son of uh, Brant Job, who was a uh, PGA Tour player, who still competes by the way on the Champions Tour, and well, you know, it was obviously a very accomplished athlete there. And you're talking about a guy in Job who not only you know we, we've we've seen what uh, Otani has done in in Major League Baseball this year from both a pitching and a hitting standpoint. It looks like uh, uh, Joby's going to end up being a pitcher, but offensively he's been you know top notch at the high school level. And you you talked about it. for all the you know for all the Jack Letter buzz we, we, with Jackson Joby this this guy his upside absolutely could he be even greater. And look, you have the risk because he's a high throwing high school kid, you know, a hard throwing guy. So that you know, and it's a you know there, there's always kind of a you know you always have a little bit of concern there. But, you know, and not to hype up my, my squad, Tommy, but I got to kind of a little bit because, I mean, you look at this impressive young stable in Detroit with this pitching staff from Manning to obviously to Mize to even Joby to, you know, and, and, and across the board. You're talking about what could be another situation like, you know, Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, obviously, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, Rick Porcello. Uh, you know the number of arms that they had in Detroit. It, it's it, it it appears that uh, the Tigers are doing it right again, and could be uh, in the midst of a massive rebuild here that could be uh, paying off here, not not so far soon. Now look, when I talked about the you know the variety of guys and what level they're at, right, Tommy? I'm talking about guys like Mayer also that the Red Sox took at number four. We're talking about a high school kid, okay? You know, East Lake High School in California. 
And everyone talks about Jordan Lawler's probably the best, you know, high school player in the draft. But this guy's unbelievable, too. You're talking about 6'3 left-handed hitting. I mean, Tommy, think about that. Six, we're talking about 6'3 kids in high school that, you know, that are just that are hitting monsters. And, you know, he's basically he went to, he went to the same high school that uh, Adrian Gonzalez came out of, who was the number one overall pick back in the day. You know, the, I mean, the Red Sox, you know, they're, they're a team that uh, is, is going to just love having this kid on board. You got uh, you know you got the kid Kowser out of Sam Houston State. You know the outfielder the the Orioles end up taking. Uh, I mentioned of course Lawler. He goes to the Diamondbacks, uh, the shortstop out of Texas. That's a and steal. By, talk- by the way, that's a steal because you know this morning we spoke and I was like, you know what, I might take Mayer over overall number one, but I wouldn't be surprised if Texas took Lawler too. They got Arizona got him at six. I think that's an absolute steal. The reason they did is because Baltimore did what they always do. And they, they underslotted, you know, nobody had Kowser at five Baltimore. That's a terrible selection. Terrible pick. And they're, and he's drawn collect. He's drawn comparisons, Tommy, to your guy, Derek Jeter and Carlos Correa and others for his ability, you know, to hit to the opposite field. This is a guy who is above average across the board. We talk about five, two players all the time. That's what you're looking at with a guy like Lawler. And, uh, you know, and so, yes, I think the time absolutely did get a steal there. So, uh, so, yes, so this is, uh, you know, it's par for the course to what you just pointed out, Tommy. You got a lot of guys with a ton of upside, and you got Major League Baseball GMs with this mentality to fast track here in the last five, six, seven, eight years to get guys to the Major Leagues and have them contribute. You know, it may be, you know, a lot of this may be financial, a lot of this may be, you know, based on what your franchise needs at the time or it could be or in some cases desperation right some cases just you know we need to have someone that sells tickets or we need to have you know so we we have you know maybe certain injury concerns we have or injury issues that we're dealing with and so these kids end up getting called up yeah the kid called up uh you know it's not his name's in my mind now but the kid they got called up to the uh, tampa bay race what two weeks ago and uh you know i mean we're talking about teenagers getting called up to the major leagues it's just it's uh, rather astounding to see it, and uh, it's it's uh, also, but uh, hey, the future is coming quick, my friend, and uh, it's a lot of fun to watch it with Major League Baseball. Yeah, you mentioned Kumar Rocker. He went to the Mets at 10. Got to be thrilled about that. Brady House is another good name, another shortstop. I think he might be uh, the highest ceiling here. You're talking about uh, big? How about 6'4", 215 high school senior there? Uh, Will Bednar, his brother is going to be the closer in Pittsburgh once they, they go through their file sale this year. He gets picked uh, by San Francisco. I think that's a real good pick. And Jordan Wicks from the Cubs went all the way down to 21. And the reason I'm mentioning Jordan Hicks at 21 is because every single scout that I've spoken to said he's the first one. Meaning he could contribute this year if the Cubs are not selling. Uh, Chris, let's talk about the futures game for a moment because Right. I know I had you on, and you know me. Look, everyone's going crazy and gaga about Spencer Torkelson, uh, as well they should. But, man, I am a massive Riley Green fan, and I think he is just that guy. But when you look at the lineups put out today, and batting 3-4, Chris, are Detroit Tigers, when you are watching what Casey Mize is doing, you got to be ecstatic at the future coming up. I don't know how much of the futures game you watched. Um, it was gr- the way baseball did it today was 
absolutely fantastic. This is everything that I want out of a futures game. They mic some guys up. They mic'd up Bobby Witten and others. They mic them up. They let them talk right right up to getting into a bat. At the at-bat, Bobby Witt saying, oh, man, I missed that one. I should have started. It was giving the young players a look, giving their young players a, a, a voice that hockey has never been able to do. The NBA used to be so good at, and now baseball's trying trying desperately and i think they hit it out of the park today with the futures game give me an insight to these guys i want to like them i'm i'm bigger bobby witt fan now than i was earlier today and I, he's not even on my team he's a kansas city i don't care i like him i like what i saw today i i, I think baseball handled today better than i've seen baseball from a, a recognizable standpoint handle it in years maybe maybe in decades because i just thought that they knocked it out of the park today well, I think it's great, and I think it absolutely serves its purpose, right, for Major League Baseball, Tommy, regarding the Futures game. It is, and we, you know, it's kind of a throwaway line, but it is what it is kind of thing. Um, obviously, we aren't seeing these guys in the, the, you know, the framework of the franchises which they will be performing with, right? The franchises they'll be looking to either resurrect or to continue success with. And you, you mentioned, of course, guys with the Detroit Tigers, Spencer Torkelson. You mentioned Riley Green. These are two guys that are going to be part of what, you know, they're trying to rebuild back to. This is a Detroit Tigers team that was in the World Series, you know, for multiple years back in the mid-2000s and was a consistent playoff team for years. It's a franchise that has gone through a transition in the upper management with the general managers and with the managers, obviously, now with uh, A.J. Hinch now at the helm there in Detroit. So, yes, it's very exciting as a Tigers fan to know that there is a very good possibility that the you know the, the guys with the old English D on their jersey are going to be relevant again once again in Major League Baseball. But yes, when it comes to futures games, Tommy, it's always great because you know these are the guys that are going to carry the mantle. These are the guys that are going to step into Major League Baseball, and you know it's it's always you always have to make transitions, right? You're always going from what seems like a group of guys that are the figureheads and that are the mantelpieces in Major League Baseball, and you have to make that adjustment to the new guys. And right now, that's what's basically transpiring, in my opinion. You're going, you know, with the likes of, you know, the Vlad Gramero Juniors and the Acuna Juniors and, the and you know, the younger players mixed in with the, the, the Shoei Otanis and then still mixed in with the likes of the Mike Trouts and others and Chris Bryant's. And, you know, you know what I mean? Like, there's... You're making that transition, and that's what the future game is all about: is Major League Baseball exposing those brand new guys to a wider audience, and getting, and also it's a chance for those young players to get out on the big stage. You know, you're talking about All Star Weekend, Major League Baseball All Star Weekend. We all understand that you know it's it's all about the actual game itself and the at the actual Major League Baseball All Stars, as well as the Home Run Derby. You know, and yes, we're going to get a chance to see the biggest names in baseball, whether it's Fernando Tatis Jr., whether it's, you know, uh, you know, across the board from, you know, Max Muncy to, you know, Jake, you know, Cronenworth to, to Trey Turner to, you know, Eduardo Escobar to, to Mookie Betts. We're going to see all the current stars in Major League Baseball, but the future game is about what? It's about what's coming next. And it's about you getting, it's, it's about us getting excited about who the guys are that are going to be taking the mantle 
from the guys previous. And so that's what I think creates so much excitement surrounding the Futures game. Well, I love the fact that they added a guy, uh, and I, this is not a Yankee bias, even though it's going to sound like it, but I love the fact that they added Jason Dominguez. Jason Dominguez hasn't played uh, you know, <laughs> baseball at all on a competitive level, but they said, you know what, we're going to put you in the, in the game. Why? Because you're a massively hyped prospect, and you, people want to see you. And there was no, there was just none of that, let's, let's be fake. Let's try to say that the game matters. That it, you know, No, 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 no. It was the way it was. You know, this is what we want right. to see. We want to see Adley up there. We want to see Spencer Tolkosin. We want to see, right, we want to see that. As a matter of fact, it's pretty funny because uh, Bobby Witt was mic'd up, and he uh, he was joking around, and he said, man, all these great plays, because there was a lot of good defensive plays. He said, this is supposed to be an offensive game, you know, and, and it really was. Uh, you know, the names that are coming up, and I'm looking at, and I'm going, man, these guys are, are going to be stars and you know that most of them are you know you know most of them are and that's that's the cool thing so i wanted to kind of touch on that the last question i got for you and just an opinion here we're going to get into the all-star game okay Um, right but from an opinion standpoint would you rather have a game like the futures game or an all-star game or whatnot would you rather have it like they did today where Look, we know Jason Dominguez didn't earn his way on, but people want to see him. Or do you want it? No, you have to earn it, and this is this, and this is the way that it is. Or Cal Ripken Jr. making the All-Star game where nobody you know, wanted. No, he, he, Everybody wanted to see him, but nobody would have ever voted for him if it was a numbers game. Are you okay with that? Because I am. I might give the people what they want to see, not exactly what is supposed to be, quote-unquote. Yeah, I mean, people want to see guys like Spencer Torkelson, right? They want to see guys like like Max Meyer. They want to see, you know, they want to see guys like Jared Kalanick, right? They want to see, uh, you know, guys like Contreras on the hill for the Bucks. You know what I mean? Like, they want to see the young guys who are projected to be the stars, okay? Like, like most recently, right? We think about 2017. And what comes to mind immediately when you think about the Futures game of 2017, it's Vladimir Guerrero Jr., right? And yeah, it's not an all you know, so game. it's a future. So yeah, yeah, so it's a, it's it's more about just showcasing him, Tommy. I don't yes. I don't know if you want to overthink it too much. I don't know if you want to get you get too crazy with it. It's the futures game. You know, I mean it's 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 in a chance for young guys who are big time prospects. You know, you get him you get him coached by got the likes of Vinny Castilla, you know, and Latroy Hawkins are the managers and it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of a, it's a little bit of a dog and pony show, but at the same time it's it's more about just getting a chance to see the future to me, you know, and see, you know, Liberatory and all these. I mean, it's, it's see these guys actually, you know, uh, get a chance to get out there and get get their names out there because a lot these guys aren't household names, you know. What I mean, they're not household names yet, you know. No one's saying, you know, no one's got a a Jared Kellenick poster on their wall yet, you know, even in Seattle, you know. So it's not, you know, no one's got you know, a, a Max Meyer. Uh, poster in their wall yet you know it's 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 just a chance to get exposed to these young players nobody has a dominguez yankees you know nobody has a dominguez poster in the room yet so it's it's more about just getting a view of these young guys yeah i i loved it i it that's one of the arguments i saw on twitter well these guys aren't all-stars well it's not an all-star game <laughs> it's, it's no it's not game. Yeah, it's not it's an all-star game. game and i would yeah. prefer a million times over i would prefer to watch a futures game than an all-star game. I I love the way they did it. All right, let's take a quick time out. Come on back. 
and my animosity and distaste for the All-Star Game should be on full display in hour number two. I want to get I your I can't wait. This is going to be good stuff. Tommy Barton is about to go off on the All-Star Game. I can't oh, wait. Oh, it's just, oh, my goodness. I, I, I already taste the bile. So let's take a quick timeout. Come on back. Let's talk some All-Star Game right after this on E-Wave Sports.